I'm going to buy Gomez for I think it's more. Yeah. I think they're quite understanding of a lockdown, like, sort of not the best time being back at home. So I think they're quite like, just let me do what I want to do as much like as they could. Sure. Yeah. And would you say you could have any improvements with your parents' relationship? And if so, how could that be improved? Uh, I don't think it's really much to improve with. I think. Solid relationship. Yeah. And we're very honest. Even if we don't like what we're saying, we've got to be honest with each other. So, yeah. Yeah, so I actually moved to London after I graduated um, for work. And when the pandemic hit, I moved back home again um, to Sheffield. Um, so our relationship got so strong. I'm an only child, so it's just me and my mum. So we were like two peas in a pod again, as I thought I was like a child. Um, we spent entire days and nights together. So, yeah, it was really nice. Now that I've moved back and life's getting back to normal, I'm trying to find a balance now of like maintaining that like really close relationship but also going back to normality because I think it's kind of um it's not realistic to just feel like you're in a bubble with this one person although I think everyone sort of had some sense whether it was a parent or friend or lover that you were just in this bubble with them but now it's like it has to kind of go back to a sense of closeness but also having your own life which I kind of lost but now I'm regaining <laughs>
Preachers like me in a church are not the only spokespeople on the subject. In fact, just ordinary uh, stories on our screens, uh, ranging from the sitcoms uh, right through to the cartoons, uh, like The Simpsons and Family Guy type things, right through to, uh, I guess, the, the movies, sometimes the, the, the animated films are a clue as to how the culture is seeing certain issues. What we teach our children through children's films, films like Moana, for example. A story of a, a kind of a, a, a princess, like the, the daughter of the, the ruling uh, uh, fa father and mother in an, in an island. Her father and mother rule this, this island in, 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 the South, in the South Pacific. She longs to uh, explore, travel beyond the land and beyond the sea, and the story hinges on her having the opportunity to do that in order to bring rescue and safety to the people of her own island. But her father and mother restrict her from doing that. They deny her the chance because they're, they're, they're limiting her, they're controlling her. And she wants the freedom and, and her yearning and longing and desire for the, the freedom of self-expression and desire to just to, to explore and see beyond is, is the kind of heroic drive of the story. And that her parents' restriction is the kind of force of sinister almost, controlling force. So many of our stories kind of seem to present it that way in this, this age in which we live, this 21st century age in which individual self-expression is the most important thing and parents need to kind of get out of the way or support you uh, because any other part they play in the story will be a negative one. To restrict, to lead, to instruct, to command, those are things that parents used to do in the bad old days. And we've been liberated from those wicked times. We, we don't ex accept the assumptions of this book, for example, which, which suggest a different way to see life. When the Bible says, honour your father and mother, submit to your father and mother, that it might go well with you, that you might live long in the land, that, that by the way, one of the, 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 the commands on the first tablet, if you like, the, the Ten Commandments, given to Moses on two tablets of stone, and that command, honour your father and mother, is the fifth. It's, it, it, it comes in on the first tablet, in other words. It's, it's, it's up there with the, the, the most important... It's in the top five. <laughs> it, it's, it's in fact, it's related to our relationship to God himself, it would suggest. Our relationship to parental authority is in some respect a reflection of our relationship to his. He brings us into this world himself through our parents and our honouring of them, as Paul says, pleases the Lord. Pleases the Lord. We don't therefore just get told to honour our parents because it's safe and healthy and wise and you won't get, you know, you won't get into trouble, you won't go with the wrong people, you won't get hit by something. You'll, you know, you honour your parents and you'll be safe. True, true enough. But there's something deeper to it. There's a there's actually a quality of the heart in our obedience to our parents that has to do with worship. It pleases the Lord. God himself sees it with pleasure. It isn't just utilitarian. It's not just practical. It's not just good advice. You do what your parents say. They're, they're clever. They know a bit more. True. But it's, it's, it's something of the heart is involved here. 
And, and for sure, there is a, a practical follow-through. You'll live long in the land. Seems to stand to reason, generally speaking, a society where wise authority figures are taken seriously and learned from is probably a safer society than one which cuts itself off from all previous learning and experience. A society that disregards the wisdom of a previous age is cutting itself off from, from life. It's, 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 it's hurting itself, it's harming itself. And so the, this very practical side of the command, you'll live long in the land, is, is borne out. It seems like common sense, in spite of the fact that as a culture, we're kind of wary of it. We're not comfortable with the idea of, of just sort of honouring our parents. Yeah, we, we know we got to, we know it's necessary, but it's kind of a, a necessary evil. But no, in the Bible, it's pleasing to the Lord. There's something about the way that you and I treat our parents that reflects an attitude of submission to God himself. I remember personally hitting that point as a, as a shock, as a teenager. I, I'd had a season of drifting away from God and uh, came back to God and, and some months into my, my zealous, passionate, Jesus-following Christian life as a teenager where I was prepared to stand up for Jesus in my college and in the streets and very vocal and confident in my, in my new Jesus-focused life and passion and expressive passion for Jesus Christ. I remember on one occasion in my house, uh, I say one occasion, this would have sadly happened hundreds of times, but one occasion it stood out because my mum called up the stairs at the morning time when everybody's rushing and the house is busy and we're just trying to get everybody out of the house and organised. And I just sort of offered back a sarcastic response, a kind of barely audible, rude, sarcastic response to my mum calling up the stairs, just as an as a arrogant teenager might. My dad was standing just behind me when I did it. And he confronted me immediately. I think he was tired. I think at this point he noticed me doing this so often that he decided, no, I'm going to confront you on this. Looked at me and said, it's not godly. It's not godly. And the way in which he appealed to me, it kind of got to my core. I think up until that point, I might have thought of it as unfortunate and probably not quite right that I should be rude and reacting to my mum. My dad knew something about me. At this stage, he knew that I was trying to be godly. I might have even claimed that I, I, might, have been, I might have been quite keen to vaunt my godliness on people. I, I, that may sound unusual for a teenager. I, I was proud of it. And then I was shaken by the fact that the way I was treating my mum was not godly. It's, not, it's no good saying how much of a... It's, it's all of your other expressions of following, all of your other claims to discipleship, they're, in, they're just, they are disintegrated, they melt, they are, they are rendered pathetic when your response to your mum is one of arrogance, sarcasm, insolence. It is not godly. And it froze me. It still kind of causes me to tremble a bit because I knew God was speaking to me. And in reality, I've still had many occasions of repentance ever since, even since. Because this, this pattern of arrogance is something that I've, I've had to notice in myself. 
and it's been something especially expressed at that stage of my life to my parents. And my failure to honour them was something that God would have against me. God would raise it with me. Do you realise that that's how it works? Maybe for some of us this is an issue to consider. We, we might think that the, the Bible is particularly strict in places. In fact, we'd be shocked. You might not realise just how strict it can come across. When the law given to Israel in, in uh, many, many, many years BC through Moses talked about our relationship to our parents or the, the, the Israelites and how the, the, the Hebrew rescued from slaves, rescued from slavery to be delivered into the promised land, God gives them a law as a nation. This is your national law. One of the items in the law was how children who struck their parents would be executed. Children who struck their parents would be executed. We might think that is, that is savage. That's, that's outrageous, despicable. And perhaps many of us even listening to this would would not, you know, by such a law would not be even able to watch or listen. We would have gone past the point of capital punishment. Shocking. But here's the more shocking thing. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, the wonderful Jesus who is kind to children, so gentle, so forgiving, so tender. This Jesus said, the law made allowance for hardness of heart. When some people were asking him about the Pharisee, uh, the Pharisee asked him about marriage. How, how will marriage be done? And what's, what's marriage about? What about divorce? What do we believe about divorce? Sadducees, Pharisees, asking questions. Jesus said, the law actually gave space for your hardness of heart. The law on divorce, he's saying, is not as strict as my Father in heaven would like it to be, let's say. His, his heart about marriage and divorce is even tighter against divorce than the law. The law made allowance for divorce. But God hates divorce, as the prophet Malachi says. Now, what's divorce got to do with this, this subject? Bear with me. The point I'm making is that that's an example of how the strictness of the law, <laughs> it might surprise us, but we might be even further surprised to discover that God's standards might even be higher than we think by looking at the law. The law can only hint at the height of God's standards. Does this make us a little bit nervous about the God of the Bible? Well, perhaps it should. How are we to know what real honouring of parents is like? Well, I think the key thing, Jesus is talking about the way the law couldn't really legislate the heart it can legislate behaviour, and that's not a wrong thing. We need help. The law helps us. We need laws just to keep our behaviour regulated, for sure. But you know as well as I that laws don't necessarily work on the heart. Not really. In fact, sometimes the heart can get more arrogant, more resentful and disobedient because of the law coming. Because we're so given over to our rebellious arrogance that laws only kind of exacerbate, only seem to put fuel on the flames of our attitudes. We don't really need laws to change us. They don't work like that. What we need is something more powerful. And where do we look to even know the true standard of godly living towards parents? Well, thankfully, God has shown us the highest revelation. He's shown us himself. He came as a baby. If we want to know what it means to 
honour your father and mother, God showed us by doing it for us. He said, okay, let, let me, you all watch. God became a little child. God was brought up by very flawed, ordinary father and mother. Uh, just a, a peasant couple living in, in Nazareth, a town in the north part of, of Judea at that time, or up in, in Galilee, in fact. And, and Jesus, it says in Luke's Gospel, in Luke chapter 2, he went back to the home where they were bringing him up and he was submissive to them. Jesus was submissive to his parents. And that in itself ought to cause us to be staggered, just considering what it means that Jesus was submissive to people before whom he was so superior. Jesus is God. Jesus is the living God. And he is being submissive. It doesn't just say he submitted. It says he was submissive. There was a heart instinct. There was something inwardly being expressed to them. He was submissive. He wasn't legally submitting. He wasn't saying, well, I don't really want to. I'm obviously far better than you, but I suppose I ought to. No, there's something exuded from him. Did that suggest that he was inferior? See, that's the narrative that we are told. Generally speaking, anybody you submit to, to submit is entirely negative. The word submission has either negative or obscene connotations in our culture. Jesus submits gladly, freely to his parents. What was he doing? Was, it, was he admitting inferiority? Is he saying, well, actually, I'm not God. <laughs> People say that about me, but I'm, I'm not really God. People get a bit excited about me. You know, a whole religion's going to kind of come out of this. It's a bit stupid. These people are a bit crazy. I'm not really God. No, 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 no. In all of it, it says in Philippians chapter 2, being in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped at, but deliberately made himself nothing. Jesus, as an expression of his godness, was submissive. It was him showing us, showing us the kind of God he is, his extraordinary humility. This is the kind of God he is, the one who would uh, roll up his sleeves and help his dad in the, in, the, in, the, in the workshop. His dad was a carpenter, it would seem. And you can sort of see Jesus sort of listening and watching. You know, I remember my woodwork lessons at school. We were taught how to make spatulas. I wonder what Jesus was first taught how to do. I can imagine if it was me, if I was the son of God, <laughs> and my earthly dad was sitting down teaching me how to make stuff. I think at some point I would snap. So I don't want you to teach me how to make one more thing. Stop telling me how to make spatulas. I made wood. I made the trees. In fact, Dad, I made you. I mean, it's very difficult to avoid the temptation in any given confrontation with your parents, if you're the son of God, to just end it by saying, who's God? You know, <laughs> my bedtime? Uh, oh, grounded, am I? Who's God? You know, I think I can have the car keys for a bit longer. Who's God? Uh, just, I would just, that would be my easy way out of almost every argument. Jesus at no point showed that kind of arrogance. He was submissive. He was willingly submissive. Does that mean that Jesus was enslaved? This is worth making. This point is extremely 
necessary. As we go through this series on relationships, we're often touching the, the A word, authority, and it's difficult sometimes to miss, uh, sorry, it's difficult sometimes to, 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 to touch this, to thread this needle without, without getting it slightly wrong. Let me explain this again if, in case you've not been hearing it. Authority in the Bible to any human agent is in the context of ultimate authority to God. Any, any, any submission we give to police, school teacher, boss, government, any submission we offer must be, as it says in Ephesians chapter 6, honour your parents, submit to them in the Lord. In the Lord. You can't submit to anyone in the Lord if what the Lord would say is against what they're saying. There are times in Scripture and in our lives, perhaps, where we have to make that decision. Am I going to obey God or obey people? Other, you know, am I going to obey human beings or God? And we will have to make that call, perhaps even in a parental situation. No authority is meant to enslave or control you. It's not meant to be that way. Let us explain that uh, as often as we can. And in other contexts of preaching, we'd love to unpack this further. But let me say it. Right now, in this context, Jesus, in submitting to his parents, was not enslaved by them. And there were even times when Jesus was explicit about this, where he even seemed to, to some extent, not play ball with his, his mother's expectations on him. You can see places where he actually has to speak specifically, critically, about the way she is assuming things about him as he grows up, as he becomes his own man. He starts to say so. And he even points out that his message of the kingdom will even divide people from their families, from their parents. He says, I've come to set a fire upon the earth. For, for, for this kingdom, some will leave their fathers and mothers, he says. So when it comes to the ultimate rivalry between our responsiveness to human authority or God's authority, we always have to choose God's. And Jesus presents that all the time. We're not to be enslaved by any earthly master. We're not to be. And Jesus wasn't. So his submissiveness was expressed in a different kind of way to that. So he wasn't being inferior. He wasn't being enslaved. But neither was he being shallow. He wasn't just doing it outwardly. He, he explicitly criticised the Pharisees for the way they talked about honouring your father and mother, but actually did not look after their father and mother financially in the way they were supposed to. They would cleverly work out their taxes and their tithes so as to avoid their financial obligations toward their ageing parents. Jesus looked at it, he saw it for what it was, he criticised it, he said, you are not honouring your parents, you are dishonouring them. Even though you quote Moses and the law, you're finding a sneaky way to thoroughly dishonour your parents. See, that's the problem with legalistic obedience. You can obey the law of the Old Testament and still find a way around the heart of it. You can say, oh, no, no, I do honour my parents. I do, I really respect them. I do what they say, I honour my parents. If you ask them if they felt honoured by you, you might be surprised. You might be surprised by whether they understood that, that they, they, they felt they were on the receiving end of much honour at all. They may actually feel deeply hurt by you. They may feel that you, you don't even know what you're talking about, about honour and respect. 
And Jesus had to say that to the Pharisees. You, you haven't given the, 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 the tiniest thought to how they're actually doing. You don't know anything about how they feel, the effect your decisions have on their lives, their well-being, their health, their safety. Nothing. You're just keeping certain rules just to kind of cover your own back and tick the right boxes. That's not righteousness. That's not submissiveness from the heart. And Jesus himself demonstrates it in much more palpable ways, like, for example, when on the cross at that very place, being crucified. Do you remember one of the things Jesus says from the cross? Speaking to his dear friend John, one of the disciples, he says, behold your mother. And then he says to Mary, behold your son. At the worst place of extreme exhaustion, torture, trial, Jesus under the worst pressure that any human has ever undergone, because he from the heart obeyed his father's command to honour his parents, he did so at the cross. John, look after her for me. John, John, look after my mother. Behold, she's your mother now. Will you have her? Mum, look, look, John, he'll look after you. He's <laughs> caring about his mum at the cross. Beautiful. Showing us what it's like. He's doing it more than the law of Moses could quite do. He's demonstrating it in the flesh before us and giving us this example. He's not, he's not inferior. He's not enslaved. But, but neither is he going through motions. He's living, as we've been saying through this series, like Peter says in 1 Peter 2, as a free man. Live as people who are free. Free! Free to love people, free to serve people. Free to, to live, if whatever. I pour myself out, I love other people to the point of it looking like enslavement. Fair enough, but I know I'm not a slave. <laughs> Only a slave to God. And I've been freed by God so I can love you from the heart rather than from a sense of earthly obligation which has no claim on me. And for some of us, that's a very important part of it. See, we, we battle with this, this issue of, I, I want to be free. I want to be free from my parents. Many of us, we feel the pain of restriction and we kick against it claiming our, our freedom, if only I could be free from their control, which in reality smacks against common sense, doesn't it? You don't need to be free from the people who know you the best. Very often, your longing for freedom is, is actually counterproductive. If your parents are saying, no, don't do this, your impression can be, well, they just don't understand me. We, we start you know, sort of imagining that there are certain other people that understand us better, you know, our peers, our school friends, our, the celebrities that we worship, you know, I don't know, Selena Gomez, she understands me, you know, Beyonce, they understand me, people you've got posters on your walls of, they really understand you, because their songs speak so to your heart, they, 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 I, I, my parents, they don't get me, I just, these people on Instagram, they understand me, they don't, <laughs> they don't, the people that understand, that your mum has seen you, puke, poo and sneeze all at the same time and she had to clean it all up. I think she understands you much better than you think. Your parents know you more than you think and they know stuff more than you think. I, I'm, I shudder with embarrassment when I think of the times through my life, right from teenage up till now, where I've, I've kind of sat my dad down to teach him something. And some of it, I, I shake with embarrassment at how many times I've done it. I'm afraid that's the, that's the, that's the uh, 
inheritance we all have to some extent where we, we look back and think, how did I sit? My, some of you got very patient parents who put up with that. And it's lovely that they're so patient, but perhaps we need to check ourselves <laughs> before we chalk up too high a list, of, too, too big a list of embarrassing moments where we've imagined that they've got something to learn from us. They're, they're, just not, they're just not seen as much of the world as we have. They don't know as much. Oh, they just don't understand these things. <laughs> and we might realise as we get older, oh my goodness, did I really say that? Did I really think that my parents didn't know that? Be careful how much you assume. It just goes against common sense to think they don't know. And to think they don't love you. Listen, your parents, Jesus said it. He said, you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. Your parents don't have to be perfect to love you. Some of your parents, <laughs> they've loved you in ways you haven't known about. They've, they've, they've cared about you. They've, they've, they've done stuff for you that you don't even know, some of them. And to just assume that they don't love you is, again, it goes against common sense. But we have better than common sense. And I don't want to assume, I, you know, the other side of this is the, the reality that some who are pressing for freedom will miss some common sense. Some who actually, in the name of honouring their, their, their parents, honouring the authority, which some of you uh, do do this instinctively, you, you may also fail to see where parents actually... the the way to honour them now might be a little bit counterintuitive. You might, in fact, need to, to stop acting. Sometimes parents, their, their authority is abused. There, there is a lot of toxic parenting that goes on, to be sure. And many of our stories will be full of pain, heartbreak. Many of your experiences watching, listening, wouldn't measure up to a nice, happy standard of a godly family with parents who are patient and get it wrong sometimes, but are basically good and kind to us. I know that's not everybody's regular experience by any means. And the challenge of honouring your father and mother in that situation is very real. How do you do it? How do you honour parents who simply don't ever honour you? Parents who are consistently crushing, harsh, critical, sometimes brutal, maybe violent. Maybe that's been your experience. How do you cope with that? What are you meant to do about that? How do you reconcile to people? Sometimes we might even find a way to forgive and reach out to our parents to build peace. And it doesn't work. We fall flat on our face. Our parents are harsh in response. They don't even receive our forgiveness, they don't want to know, they think they've nothing to forgive, they feel they've done nothing wrong, and it leads to further pain. You think, well, thanks for that, Bible, that didn't help. Remember what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, in as much as it depends upon you, live in peace with others. In as much as it depends upon you. Bible's being very honest again there. There are times when that's the most we'll get. That's the best we can hope for. It's like a tie. We say, okay, in as much as it depends upon me, we'll live in peace. I'm, I'm going to be straight with you, parents. I do feel I've been harmed. I do feel I've been wronged. And, and maybe, maybe you've got an actual case. And the way you handle that needs to be peaceful, loving, forgiving, but still honest, still straight. You don't pretend. You don't act. 
you're still, if necessary, there needs to be some straight reflections from you towards them. There are times when that might even be appropriate. And by all means, talk it through with brothers, sisters in the church, without gossiping, talk wisely, with, perhaps with a leader in the church, to get your, the wisdom that you need to conduct yourself right in that situation. But be sure, in some situations, the best we can hope for in this age is just peace in as far as it depends upon you. In as much as it depends upon you. If full reconciliation and a wonderfully healed relationship doesn't come in a moment, you haven't necessarily done wrong. It might be a while before that comes. It might be years. But it's still something to pursue. As much as it depends upon you, be peaceful towards them. Be humble towards them. Consider your faults, the things that you know you've done that are wrong. There is no relationship where one party has done 100% of the wrong and the other has done nothing wrong except our relationship with him. But in all these relationships, there'll be a share of blame. And to come owning that, to say, yeah, I, I haven't been a good son. I haven't been a good daughter. I can see that. Here, let me show you. This is what I see in myself. And I'm sorry. I've not done well here. I've done wrong here. And I'm sorry. And to keep being ready to do that. I had to do that even myself, even recently. I think of times I've had to say sorry to, to, to a parent. I think of even this last year. Things that, that I thought, gosh, that was about five, six, seven years ago that I did that. And I haven't said sorry for it. I haven't gone to my parents and apologised. There may be times when you'll be doing this for years to come. But I'd rather, I think Paul is saying, in as much as it depends upon you, you look for ways to show honest, hum, humble, seeking of uh, reparation, seeking of, uh, of, of, of recovery and reconciliation in this vital relationship. So learning to show repentance, learning how to, uh, to not try and ex you know, get ourselves out of the equation. If only I could have your parents or his parents or her parents, it would have been all right. And we're living with a foolish mentality if we, if we go that way. Because parents are parents. Every relationship is a stretched one and one where we have to exercise grace and forgiveness and love. And God will call us to that. And in all of it, and this is my, my final point, we, we're enabled to do this, empowered to do this, helped to do this because of the, the parental fatherly love we receive through Jesus. Jesus shares his father with us. That's what he came to do. He came to share us, share with us the father. My father, he said, and your father, your heavenly father. And David says, even in the Old Testament, in Psalm 27, that though my father and mother reject me, you, O Lord, will take me in. To, to be able to know the living God as your close heavenly father, to know his kindness, his affirmation, his gentleness, his forgiveness, his grace in your life will enable you to forgive, to honour, and at the right, uh, 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 for some of us, to obey, to submit to, that you're at that stage of life still. To do that lovingly. Why? Because you have a heavenly father. <laughs> A perfect father whose love is enough for you, who strengthens you and enables you to do that, to offer the same love 
that Jesus showed to his mother and father. So Jesus would offer us our parents, even today. Think of it, think of it like this. Jesus at the cross offering John, his mother, saying, John, behold your mother. And I kind of see it like that. Imagine Jesus pointing out your parents now and saying, let me give them back to you. Behold, here they are. Now love them, love them that way. Love them in the way I, I would love them. Not enslaved, not inferior, not in a shallow, skin-deep way, but from the heart, because you've been set free to love them. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for what you've modelled. We thank you even more for what you've made possible by setting us free through your death and resurrection, through bringing us into this adoptive relationship with your Father. Help us to love and honour those whose families you've put us into. Help us to deal with, Lord, those those uh, obstacles that would prevent it. Help us to show grace and forgiveness and find the healing in those relationships that we long for, for your glory and in Jesus' name, amen.